The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. Hello, everyone. Jasmine, it might be a little loud, FYI, but hello, everyone. We're not redlining. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show. Welcome back to Culture Insanity, the podcast. So I think we made a little boo-boo last time. This, I believe, is episode number 12. So welcome back and welcome to the 12th episode of the show. May May 9th. Pastor, hello. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> How are you holding up? Oh, I'm doing, I'm doing right fine. Did you say you're doing mighty fine? That's right. <laughs> Sorry, it's hard to it's hard to hear you through your thick southern twang, um, <laughs> but that's good to hear. Um, yeah, thanks for coming back, everyone. Um, and here we go. I think Josh already posted, but what we got on the docket is perhaps a couple more non-issues and then a larger discussion um, that I'm more interested in having on perhaps post-COVID-19 as it relates to um, pop culture and art and, and so on. <clears throat> so let's, let's get these, what I think are non-issues, out of the way first, but nonetheless things that have made their way, unfortunately, into the headlines because people have time to write things that what I would consider um, not incredibly compelling. Uh, so first up. Joaquin Phoenix was put on blast, uh, an article posted on Yahoo Life. Um, He was put on blast for his Oscar acceptance speech. And now I know what you guys might be thinking. What? That was forever ago. Honestly, it feels like forever ago because we've all been stuck because of of COVID and stuff. But an article was published in Yahoo Life about Joaquin Phoenix's Oscar acceptance speech when he won the award for won the Academy Award for the Joker, and he was uh, criticized by what I presume to be a self-proclaimed mentally ill person. I don't know. As you didn't, you didn't, you don't know. Um, the writer of the article, you know, several times throughout the article, um, makes references to their own personal like. Um, right. uh, struggles with mental illness but anyways in his acceptance speech he has made a comment about about um the importance of commonality within the fights of of injustice and the marginalized people and then he cited a few of groups uh, of what he considers the marginalized um and in it he didn't he didn't include in his speech um disabled people so the uh, the author of this article goes on a whole tangent about how how and why that that just continues to undermine the problem toward disabled people, whether it be the homeless, whether it be uh, right. This is the article where they talked about being ableist. Oh yeah, right. Okay. Which yeah, the the author suggests that uh, maybe Joaquin Phoenix is an is an ableist, and we're all ableist for not um, acknowledging fully. Um, uh, the groups of the marginalized people. So for those of you who are wondering what an ableist is, that's a good question. I guess we can just make up words now <laughs> because we're upset about something. But an ableist is someone who, uh, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, you got the tablet, the, the Google's in front of you perhaps, but an ableist is someone who is promoting able-bodied people above, specifically above those with uh, disabilities or or you know defects of of any kind. Yeah, I'll read I'll read the definition to you. Yeah. Uh, okay. So ableism, also known as ableism or disabilism in British English, mm-hmm. or an anapyrophobia um, or anapyrism, and also disability discrimination is discrimination and social prejudice against people with disabilities or who are perceived to have disabilities. Ableism characterizes persons as defined by their disabilities and as inferior to the non-disabled. On this basis, people are assigned or denied certain perceived abilities, skills, or character orientations. Um, Yeah, and then it goes on to say, these are stereotypes, generally inaccurate, 
associated with either disability in general or with specific disabilities, for instance, a presumption that all disabled people want to be cured, that wheelchair users necessarily have an intellectual disability, or that blind people have some special form of insight. These stereotypes in turn serve as a justification for ableist practices and reinforce discriminatory attitudes and behaviors toward people who are disabled. Labeling affects people when it limits their options for actions or changes their identity. Uh, uh, sorry, this is relevant still. In ableist societies, people with disabilities are viewed as less valuable or even less than human. The eugenics movement of the early 20th century would mm. be considered an example of widespread ableism. The mass murder of disabled people in Nazi Germany's uh, Aktion T4 would be an extreme example of ableism. Ableism can also be better understood by reading literature published by those who experience disability and ableism firsthand. Disability studies is an academic discipline that is also beneficial to explore to gain a better understanding of ableism. And that is from the great Wikipedia. Um, so at least you get the popular understanding of what ableism is. So sorry, and you probably just said it somewhere in there, but it's my interpretation of ableism that it is specifically in reference to be like to promoting a healthier individual above someone right. who is disabled in any, in some sort of fashion. Right. It's the idea is is that you um, is that people who are able bodied are better um and specifically what it addresses is let's see certain perceived abilities skills or character orientations <laughs> so <clears throat> which i for the record i think is is r ridiculous people with able bodies are better at certain skills i mean that's just you know they just are i don't know that's really weird to me yeah that kind of <laughs> that kind of <laughs> goes back to the discussion of, like, the physiological difference between, like, men and women when it comes to physical things, like, as a general, not not as a, not to say that there aren't, you know, instances, for example, Ronda Rousey could destroy me, or yeah. you, or I anyone in this church, probably, but as a general, like, men are physiological different. Someone who is able-bodied is better at things than someone who has a disability and and of course we're talking about general can that be yeah can that be specifically overcome in a specific individual sure if i'm sitting at the bottom of the stairs and i am paraplegic if i'm sitting at the bottom of the stairs i will absolutely be able to get up the stairs uh slower than you who are able-bodied yeah. that's just the truth now Specifically, is it possible that you can condition yourself to move up the stairs faster than me? Of course it is. I actually just saw this insane thing of this Iranian woman who she's paralyzed um, on some sort of um, level, like to a large extent. Like I don't think she has a movement of her arms, um, of her perhaps even her legs, but she can move, like, her toes, for example. Yeah. And she, like, did this – she did a couple of them, actually, of this, like, crazy portrait of these, like, soccer players that are, like – Paintings? They look real, like – Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Like, I know plenty of people who can paint with their hands that are terrible, and then there's people who can paint with their feet that are great. And uh, – because I've seen both people who are paralyzed with their hands do it, and then I've also seen some stuff where they're not paralyzed with their hands. It's just something they do because they're freaky that way. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like, but those those people should be celebrated more. There's a reason why we have something called the Special Olympics because they're special, you know. Those those people that can paint like that with their feet, they've determined in life they don't want to be defeated. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. Uh, you know, back 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 where 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 I come from. Okay. So we're not really big on we're not really big on on isms. So we just view people in the world of there are people who can do and there are people who can't do. <laughs> okay. Well, see, and I think that that's where you get into ableist. Uh, you know, philosophy where then people just simply say that a person can't. I don't think that it's that they can't. 
it's that they are that they are necessarily different and i think that those differences should be allowed for and understood without it being without some without it being believed to be a prejudice it's not prejudice it's just fact now can well, that's right. can yes, they Josh, sure we just accept people as they are i don't know that's hard for me to take that you came from the 1950s like when you were ten, they were having race riots. Well, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I mean, normally you tell me I come from the nineteen tens. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyways, so her concluding, her concluding thing says, and just to get back to the article and what we think about where this person is coming from is, we're dying because of ableism's, ableism's in influence on employers, insurance companies, and even the government. Our rights need just as much as attention as any of the marginalized groups you mentioned in your acceptance speech, especially when it is an ableism-based story that gets you an award. Ableism is everywhere in Joker, and I ask that you remember the disability community for this reason. My my main, like, on the on the surface critique of, of this person who is offended, I guess, at the lack of acknowledgement is that platform that those actors and producers and directors get during that time is notoriously cutting them short on their speeches and stuff. So to hold, hold that against them is it's a bit unfair (laughs) when he was heading in the direction and trying to give credence to what he thinks are, you know, injustices and, and marginalized people and stuff like that, because that show, the Academy Awards regularly, you know, plays people off the stage with their music to, you know, fit into a time a time frame and stuff. So it's a bit harsh. Well he's <laughs> been he's been outspoken before on numerous occasions about what he you know, how he felt the Joker movie could um I don't know, could help people with uh mental well, I guess apparently to to this person, these mental issues are disabilities. Um, mm-hmm. and should be in line with like actual disabilities. The thing, the thing you got to remember is that the, the idea of a disability changes over time. When we're dealing with mental, the DSM changes. That's why we've got multiple versions of it. So this concept that that a mental disability is uh, static and is the same thing as somebody who's deaf or somebody who's blind or you know somebody whose body you can tell is working a certain way that's a, that's a pretty static definition we it's not hard to understand that somebody again with no legs is disabled but somebody who has a mental disability where that 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 concept is is constantly shifting in our understanding mm. and so first of all i think Joaquin Phoenix and Todd Phillips the director have stated multiple times that you know they they want people to be sympathetic and treat people better. Uh, This just isn't the platform. So I agree with you. But then on top of it, I I don't think that, that bandwagoning your cause onto Mm. this being a disabled thing versus a non-disabled thing um, or an able thing is, is a fair way of, of looking at it. And I would challenge it personally from a Christian perspective I don't I don't know that you can talk about mental disability except for in very extreme cases. I don't know that you can you can just accept the DSM's idea of what, what is what is the DSM? So so the DSM is um oh, forgive me, I can't remember the exact anacronym, but or acronym, sorry. Um I was anachronism versus acronym. is it just like um, if you will the a, governing body or the organization so or no it's stand, I'll, I'll look at the actual term but but basically the dsm is the guidebook oh. for what they view oh, as, okay. yeah, 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 a disab- yeah. uh, as a mental um disability basically uh so looks like maybe we're on dsm5 there it is the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders gotcha so, and, th- and that's the thing, like disorder versus disability. I just, uh, I, 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 as a Christian counselor in particular, I take grave concern with somebody labeling their disorder as a disability, a disorder being something that isn't working properly, that can be cured in a lot of cases, 
Um, whereas disabled meaning you literally like don't have that part or it's broken and cannot work. I, I take a lot of issue with that. Mm. Like a, like yeah, gen- my, genetics my, versus yeah, exactly. Um, learn my, my take on it. Behavior. You want to hear my take? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I thought that Joaquin Felix was, was over the top and that that wasn't the platform oh, for you him. Mean, to, you mean in his speech? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I get, I get tired of that nonsense. You know, you're an actor. You're being recognized for your acting. Okay. I'm okay with that. I'm not okay with, you know, uh, ranting on about, you know, a particular issue. So, you know, okay, that's fine. That's what they do. Um, as far as the person, the author now who is bringing forth, uh, in this article, their, their, uh, particular complaint and saying, hey, Joaquin, you need to broaden your understanding. Um, you know, I mean, good good for them. At least they, they put their thoughts together and tried to articulate it and, uh, and say that, hey, maybe, you know, maybe he could have been, if he's going to rant about everything else, he might as well go ahead and include that as well. I don't necessarily see that that's a bad thing, um, but it's of no consequence. I mean, they, they, they wanted to voice, they had a voice, and uh, that's okay. Um, in, uh, as far as the Christian context is concerned, Josh, I agree with you, uh, but in the Christian community, in particular mental illness, oftentimes that was understood in the context of either sin or demon possession, or demon uh, uh, oppression. And, and uh, Christianity has been very harsh towards people that have uh, various types of, of uh, mental uh, instability. Um, so, I, you know, that's, that's my take on it. I mean, Are you- listen, let, from, from, a, from, a, from a standpoint of uh, understanding disabilities, um, you know, I mean, I live with people who have disabilities. Uh, you know, I was, uh, for many years, I was the disability, federal disability coordinator for the internal revenue in our district and have dealt with uh, people all the way up to uh, being on state committees uh, dealing with disabilities. So I'm very familiar with the area of disability and how to deal with it. And it's a complex deal. But um, how did they treat so how did they treat um, people coming in with um, off the DSM as this? Do they treat the DSM as the same as, um, you know, somebody who's deaf, for instance? Well, you know, the the state in particular, the state of Oregon um, didn't deal so much with the mental disabilities that people would have. Uh, of course, keep in fairness. Keep in mind that when I was dealing with it, um, the the community, the the medical community, uh, even within the past twenty years, has well redefined. Yeah, 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 yeah. You you have people claiming they have conditions today that never existed when I was uh, coming up in things. Well, and then you have things that were that have been taken off. Mm. Um, and, and changed status. You know, it used to be that, like, homosexuality, for instance, was viewed as um, a mental disorder, and now it's not. So there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of... There's a lot of... That's what I mean. That's what I was saying by the concept of a mental disorder is not a static concept. So the yeah, idea... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so the idea that anybody should um, have this, you know, monolithic defined fundamental understanding of it as being the same as uh, whether you have an able body. It's it's an unfair standard. It's not realistic. And quite frankly, I don't believe that we should be defining people who have displayed that they have mental uh, illness um, as, as necessarily having that be something that can't be overcome. So, yeah. Well, I'm... I'm- I'm, I'm always a little bit taken back, and I, I really don't like the fact when I meet people that um, 
they have they have given in to to society's desire to label them in one form or another. Mm. So, like you know, when you have people that are uh, you know predisposed towards their uh, homosexual tendencies, they define themselves in that fashion. And whenever you get into a conversation with them, at least that's been my experience, they start out with labeling themselves. I'm this or I'm that, and it stems way beyond that. You know, you, for example, you know, people who are in, uh, you know, who have issues with a uh, substance abuse, and they go to their AA meetings or whatever. You know, they have to say, "I am an alcoholic," or "I am this," or "I am." See, I have a problem with labeling people and our society's propensity to want to do that. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's the human condition. You know, the human condition wants to label itself by anything other than yeah. a creature made in the image of God. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and because do you think that's because they are supposed to be identifying? They are supposed to be identifying with something, but when they reject God as the primary um, identifier, I don't know if you call yeah. that. Yeah, that's uh, a good observation. Yeah. Th- then then they cling to something else, whether it's I'm an alcoholic or I'm a homosexual or I'm a ableist. They, or, have, to, yeah, they have to cling to something lesser than that standard, mm-hmm. but as they perceive it bigger than themselves. And a lot of times mm. it's about clinging to a particular community. So it, yeah. could, it could be... Which is that, why you see the social justice movement. Right, like, exactly. Because that's bigger than themselves, but still pales in comparison, right. obviously. But And it, it's, you know, I... I I can define myself as my role in a community, whether it's like father. I can define myself as a part of a community, whether it's you know the LGBTQ community. I can define myself as a part of uh, a nation, like I'm American. I can define myself by my skin color, like I'm I'm. Uh, I was gonna say I'm black, but Good. I'm not black. But I'm also oh, not. You don't know, but I'm also you don't not. Know I'm what, not. I'm also not. not okay. I'm no. also not LGBTQ, so yeah. it doesn't that doesn't work. You don't know um, what you are, Josh. You've been, you know, you're a mutt. You've been accepted by the black community. You've been accepted by the Indian community. You've been I don't know that I've Hispanic been accepted <laughs> by the black community. Um, we would we would drive down the, we would drive down the street with Josh's Josh and and. and uh, there would be like you know when we were going. Through I'm the scared for what you're about to say. I'll be honest. <laughs> no, when, when we would go through the reservation, there'd be the Indian guys that be giving Josh a thumbs up, or or we'd be driving down the street and a Hispanic we'd be stopping at a stoplight and there's a, a couple of Hispanics standing there and they'd be giving Josh a th- <laughs> they'd be giving Josh a thumbs up. In any case, we remember Josh? <laughs> no, I don't. But I know you've told me this story before. Um, we are, uh, we have this tendency to define ourselves by things other than what God wants us to define ourselves. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we pick all of these things, whether culture, race, you know, our sexuality, all all sorts of different things to define ourselves that way. Um, and I think that that's what this person's doing. And that's why they're so bothered Mm. because this is a platform by which they could define themselves and have this be a larger thing, and they sort of viewed Joker as their their champion. Yeah, their champion. It's a good one. Good word. Yeah, their champion of their cause. And, and then you know, when it's not recognized, you know, in his thirty-five seconds, right? You know, it's like ah, he, right. he had an opportunity for us, and he he hurt our cause. Yeah, it's a little unfair. All right, moving on. Uh, this might be quicker. Kevin Spacey. Uh, sympathizes uh, and can relate to what it feels like to have your world suddenly stop. Of course. <laughs> and he think he he draws comparisons with what his situation with the countless Americans who can't go to work. Do we do we have a problem with Kevin Spacey saying that? I don't have a problem with him saying that. I think it's true. I think that falls into the who cares category. Yeah. Maybe he can appreciate, you know, that, but... Are people offended by him saying that? Oh, yeah. Because of what? Really? Because of the because way in created, which... Because he created his yeah, own... Yeah, okay. it was his own doing versus you have now this thing imposed on you, which... Look, just because, <laughs> just because it was his own doing doesn't mean that he shouldn't be able to understand the effects. I mean, that's what he's saying. The effect of not being able to go to work and the effect of having your world turned upside down. Okay, 
He he says, in this instance, I feel as though I can relate to what it feels like to have your world suddenly stop. And so while we may have found ourselves in similar situations, albeit for very different reasons and circumstances. Sorry if I'm laughing. It's not funny. (laughs) But I still believe that some of the emotional struggles are very much the same. And so I do have empathy for what it feels like to be told you suddenly can't go back to work. I I wonder the context of that. You know, like what sort of interview was happening where he said that? Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know who he was speaking to. Oh, he was on a podcast. He was on a, it's called bits and bits and pretzels podcast. I don't know what that podcast is, but it was, uh, it was just earlier in, in April. I am certainly not offended by Kevin Spacey saying that he can relate and that he's a person. That doesn't that doesn't bother me, and he even notes that it's for ver- that it's for completely different reasons. Yeah, he oh, but he did. He had a lot of Twitter backlash. Poor thing, suffering the consequences of his bad behavior. Wrote someone. Uh, another person says it's a two different thing. People aren't allowed to work because they want to keep the people safe, while you're not allowed to work anymore because they want to keep the people safe. Which is <laughs> nice, nice one. Um, and then I guess sexual predator is the same as Corona. They're just a virus in this world. That's, yeah. Wow. <laughs> he opened himself up for that one, didn't he? I, I mean, I guess so. Um, it's also on the back of, like, his uh, poor taste uh, or, you know, tone-deaf thing where he was like, did you, did you see the video where he was, like, sitting in front of the fire in his Frank Underwood persona um, speaking into an issue that is probably just better if he laid low no, type thing? No, what is this? Uh, I'd have to I'd have to search for it, but this was um, a few months ago, maybe. But he he was like in front of a fire, and I I can't remember what he was talking about. But it was like it was a, it was a situation where I was like, you have no business talking into this, and also why are you acting in your character, which is a character who uh, has the behaviors of the things that you're being accused of currently and stuff. So it's like, it's just in really poor taste and like kind of of a creeper, you know? Yeah. It kind of came across that way. Like maybe he doesn't (laughs) care about the allegations against him and he's just continuing this. Like, I don't know. It was, it was really weird and he got a lot of backlash for it. So maybe that's people are coming through it with that last time they saw him type thing. It's like, this guy is just, doesn't get it, does he? And so he's saying this thing, and you know, it's it's really interesting though. Like if you're paying attention, like that thing that we watched in the thing that we watched, uh, what is it, Out of Shadows, oh, yeah. or even the new Ryan Murphy show on um, Hollywood, Hollywood on uh, Netflix. Like no bueno. If those things are to be believed, and I think they are to some degree, if those things are to be believed, like it's not. Personally, it's not hard for me to think that Kevin Spacey doesn't think that he is um, any different than other people other than the fact that he's been exposed. Like you're saying, like there's a there's a reality in which Kevin Spacey's like, what did I do wrong? Like yeah. this is what yeah. people do. Like this is what I've this come what to know. Do. When I came into this industry, this was status quo and not, why not? Why am I being and, blamed and, for it? And this still is status quo. It's just – I've been found out. I've been turned into a scapegoat, you know, but like other, but you know, it's still happening. Yeah, And it could be that the reason why some of the people are calling him out is because really what he's saying when he makes his statement is kind of like, well, welcome to my world. Yeah, perhaps yeah. for the record, we're not justifying or supporting like that, that um, lifestyle. For those of you that don't know that Hollywood show, which I watched three episodes of it. Can't say I recommend it, but I did just to see what it was. Um, it's all about like the the dark side and the underside of Hollywood in the fifties. I think it is the fifties and sixties. I think it's fifties. Josh, yeah, it's the, the golden 50s. age. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, there's all sorts of immorality going on in that show. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So this is a good, this is a good point for uh, you to. Uh, point out to your listeners that uh, they they always need to keep you and and Josh and people people like they need to keep people like us in prayer because we oftentimes have to subject ourselves to things uh, to, for for their benefit 
Do you remember a movie called Heritage? Do you remember that with Tony Collette? Uh, was it Heritage? No. Um, Family? Gosh. Heritage Legacy? I thought it started with a C. I thought it was Heritage. It's, it's the one with the girl that does the clicking yes, thing. Yes, the clicking thing. Heritage. I swear it was called Heritage. Anyway. Yes, I'll find the title. You keep right. going. Yeah, so, oh, well, I was just going to say, like, sometimes Adam and I will watch things and be like, why are we watching this? Yep. Because yeah. we're trying to, like, you know, keep our eyes on the, the pulse bit. Hereditary. Hereditary. I was close. <laughs> you were heritage, close. Hereditary. You were close. But, um, yeah, long and short of it. Or we'll be like, we should probably go see that, huh? Yeah, we should probably go see that. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we watched that terrible movie the other night for our first watch party where we watched that Oh gosh, The Roommate. The roommate. Movie. It was terrible. It was terrible. But it was trending, number one. Why yeah, it no, was I, trending? I don't know. Yeah, I was watching that show with, yeah, so with my wife and my, we got to episode three and we were like, yeah, I mean, I've had enough. I get it. I'm done. <laughs> I, my point being just, uh, just you know, pray for us uh, for protection uh, because we have to subject ourselves a lot of that nonsense. Yeah, I would suggest you don't watch Hereditary if you have a sensitive soul. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It that doesn't movie? exactly end... That's the one that doesn't end on the good note, right? No, like, that's, straight I, up, I, like... I will go ahead and spoil it for you. Yeah. That movie ends with you understanding that this woman, you've watched her life devolve, and in her, her entire life, she's been involved in a... So, spoiler alert, her entire life has been set up to involve her in a occult ritual in which she will usher in the Antichrist or yep. something like mm -hmm. that. And it lit, the movie literally ends with, ends with the chanting, like chanting this thing I to, think, to bring forth, into... I can't remember, maybe, but to bring forth the Antichrist and there's all these people around and there's all this... Like people throughout her life. There's all this imagery and it's, it's disturbing and then credits. Yeah. And you're like, uh, what? But it's one of those genre-defining, def you know... Well, that filmmaker, they, they did The Midsummer, Which also, by the way, I would not recommend... That <laughs> that's how that's essentially how Midsummer ends. What too, I'll say is that record. filmmaker has a very specific style, and I think that he's going he's gonna to be prolific in the genre because of what, of what he's doing, like, in terms of his style, I think. Yeah. Um, it's really visceral. Like, he, like, his use of sounds and, and imagery is, is really intense, but. Yeah, Midsummer. I don't know the name of the film. Midsummer ends very similarly. Let's mm -hmm. just put it that way. Uh, that it, one, that it, one actually disturbed me more because of how less over it was. I yeah, think. it maybe goes further. Well, it's interesting. That movie's particularly interesting because it takes place in like a summer land sort of setting yeah. where it's always uh, it's and, always and, sunny, it's mm -hmm. always bright, it's never dark. Whereas normally in a horror movie, you know, after nighttime, like when the sun is shining, your heart can calm down. Your heart goes back to a normal rhythm right. because nothing bad's going to happen because it's daytime. Right. But in this, this midsummer movie, all the bad stuff happens during the daytime. And so you're right. always like... Uh, uneasy. Right. Well, there's never really a nighttime. Right. <laughs> a nighttime in the location. Right. It's part of the whole thing in the movie. Ari Aster is the name of that filmmaker, but... Yeah. Uh, anyways, okay, on to perhaps a, 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 a better discussion. Sorry, Kevin Spacey and... Um, whatever your <laughs> if you're name interested is. In wa <laughs> whatever your name is that didn't like Walking Phoenix. <laughs> if you're interested in watching uh, Kevin Spacey's odd... Um, shorts or whatever uh joseph jesse's posting them in the comment feed so oh did he post the fireplace one it is a fireplace there's one a right fireplace and there's a kitchen apparently okay i don't see the i didn't see the kitchen one also i would just say this like as far as those movies go hereditary the witch might be another one mm. midsummer um perhaps even like the lighthouse which i've, did you I've read all that? about no, but I'm planning on to. It's I, on Prime Video. I, I couldn't log into Amazon the other day. That's what I was going to watch when I posted oh. that. But I've read all about it. Um, I was going to say, if you're like sensitive or le less um, mature or whatever you want to say, which is fine, I would just suggest doing that with like a partner um, so that you can like debrief and, and talk through it, whether that's during the movie or after the movie. Um, because sometimes it's not always uh, awesome to be exposing yourself to that alone. 
Well, I would I would suggest not doing it at all personally. Yeah, what I was I say if you're going to watch it? I, th- I think you have to. I think you have to ask yourself why you're you're watching those things. If it's for pure entertainment, yeah, it like just think about what you're saying. Like y- you want to watch people get killed. You want yeah. to watch people get you're murdered. Like the you're, people who go to the Coliseum and watch horrible yeah. things. People get ripped apart. Terrible of- things happen to terrible people. That's what you want to watch. There's something that's kind of messed up about that, and you have to ask yourself, what part of you is wanting to watch that? Is it your sinful nature that's craving terrible things happening to terrible people? And if so, then you should you should distance yourself from that. That being said, if you are, you know, maybe a little more philosophical, you know, and you're looking for the image of God to prevail in those things, I think that that's possible, too. There are things to learn, and some of my favorite movies are horror movies where you can see, uh, where you can see because the contrast is so heavy, you can see the difference between the good and the evil, um, which is why I really like the horror genre has certain um, elements in it. Specifically, uh, the ones that really stand out are the ones where you have protagonists, you know. And and oftentimes the horror genre, especially since the 1980s, has flipped so that the protagonist is the antagonist. So you have like you know Nightmare on Elm Street where it's Freddy Krueger or uh, Jason Voorhees or uh, you know Mike Myers or whatever. Or sorry, <laughs> Michael, <laughs> Michael Myers. Michael Myers. My bad. Um, <clears throat> but the really interesting ones, the ones that I think really gain a, a cult, not a cult, but a cult following are like the evil dead series for instance where you have a standout main character who's fighting the evil and they're the good guy you know so you have ash you have uh sydney prescott from the scream series um i guess you do have off and on you have michael myers's um sister or you have like nancy in in nightmare on elm street In, in any case where you see good and evil playing against each other then it goes in more into the realm of like the grim fairy tales. Like you go back and you 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 check out the fairy tales, those old fairy tales. The like um... that's one I missed by the way. I didn't ever see that Hansel and Gretel movie. Oh yeah, I wanted to see that Gretel and Hansel. Well, yeah, I mean, we should you're, watch you're that. Talk- <laughs> so you're talking specifically, Josh, about fairy tales that have not been Disneyized. I would say. Right, um, right, that haven't had the Disney treatment. Or go back and look at the ones that have and look at their origins yeah. and you'll find that most of them are morality plays that are actually right. really dark in nature. Yes. They're meant to teach people to stay away from bad things. Mm-hmm. Right. And I and I would agree with you 100% that that the uh, those individuals, if you're a disciple of Christ, you have... Uh, by and large, you have no business watching those really dark type of uh, uh, media experiences because that because you're delving into an area where scripturally you're not supposed to. You're supposed to keep your mind pure and focused upon where God would have you to be, not the weird darkness that exists in the world. Yeah. We'll go back to Philippians chapter 4 and it talks about you know the peace of the peace of God that surpasses all understanding is predicated upon uh praying with God at all times, thanking him for the good things and then focusing your mind on the things that are good, right? The things that are pure, the things that are lovely. Well, if you're a person who spends your whole day understanding yeah. the dark things, mm-hmm. then maybe watching good overcome evil is something that's really helpful, mm. you know? Uh, so like, say if you're a cop or something like that, and it's like, you're constantly around dark things, then seeing the outworking of those things, um, you know, where good is overcoming evil could be really helpful for you. But if you're not a person who is that, why would you inundate yourself with that mm-hmm. except for educational purposes? Yeah. And I think yeah, it's really exactly. important for educational purposes for like a show like this, that we stay up to date on the pulse of what society is consuming. Um, yeah, we were talking about yeah. it uh, 
was it last episode? Just the the the, the author of the article talking about binge watching things on Netflix. Do it with your mind on. Do it with your mind off. Experiment with yourself. See how right. it makes you feel. Right. Blah, 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 blah. Like no. Yeah, that's don't mean. watch Hollywood, which, like I said, is filled with all all the mora- immorality under the sun to to describe how yeah. it was back then. Don't just yeah, do that not, for no not, reason. Not only that, not uh, not only do we get into what we just discussed with uh, the purity that the believer is supposed to have with. Quite frankly, when you watch how they do things uh, on Hollywood and you know what the truth of reality is, you can't believe what you see in these movies uh, because it's, they always distort it one way or another. I love the fact, an example would be, and I know I'm dating myself, but the old series Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Every time they had some type of a, a nuclear emergency, uh, according to the movie, they would always pull the, so they had a nuclear reactor on this submarine, and in order to prevent disaster, they would always pull the rods out in order to prevent the nuclear disaster. Mm-hmm. Well, the reality is, if yeah. you're going to... If you're going to uh, prevent nuclear fission in a nuclear reactor, you push the rods in to, to disrupt yeah. action. And it, and I could just give you example, example, example of things that the media presents in movies and commercials and what have you, which are the exact opposite of reality. And it is kind of, you are dating yourself, and it is kind of a weird reference, but I'll tell you why... Uh, if you want to, if you want a more current example of what he just said, watch the Chernobyl miniseries on HBO because they talk about the same thing with the rods. And I'll tell you why. Stabilizing. A, I'll tell you reactor. why it's a particular example for Pastor Monty <laughs> is because he's actually certified to disarm a, a, the a nuclear reaction on a submarine. <laughs> yes, I'm a qualified nuclear submariner. That's correct. I, I'm not joking. And that's, that's what people that's go. Actually true. That's when people go. Wait, that what? is one of my qualifications. <laughs> that, yes, that's when yes. people go. Wait, what? <laughs> in, yes. I mean that guy who's talking in the southern twang and talking about Steven Seagal and <laughs> talking about this and that, and he, he that man is qualified what to do that. What was the submarine? What was the name of the submarine you served on? The I Oriole served on the Aspro, the oh. USS Aspro. 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 A wait, nuclear fast wait. attack submarine. It was called Aspro. Yeah, A-S-P-R-O, yes. Oh, P-R-O. Aspro. Okay, I thought you were saying as, a, Asbro. <laughs> what is as, what is Aspro? What is that? Uh, A-S-P-R-O. Is it's that like it's already been decommissioned. What is that, though? No, what is Aspro? When you're on a nuclear submarine, part know, of what Aspro you have to do is, is, go a through a, is go through a process <laughs> where you have to qualify Aspro. in order to get your dolphins. That's so, yes. Ask Pro is almost as good as Ask Bro. <laughs> <laughs> what in the world? I didn't name the ship. I was just fine. <laughs> All right. Pastor Monty used to disarm nukes on a ship called the Ask Pro. <laughs> okay, let's not go that far. <laughs> All right. So... On to the next thing. We got about twenty minutes, not quite. <laughs> okay. Um, so we seem to be, we seem to be easing our way into or out of, uh, into life as we knew it versus you know uh, yes. like out of COVID nineteen, depending on how you look at it. There's yes. all sorts of talk right now about May fifteenth, this and a phase one in Oregon. Yeah. yeah, and a phase one of reopening things and and so on and so forth in terms of getting back to. Life as we knew it uh, since before COVID nineteen. Right. But um, the discussion I want to have is um, just in terms of how we will remember this time in like the arts and culture. So I think just earlier this week, Justin Bieber and Ariana Grande posted a giants of philosophical thought. New. <laughs> n- we have twenty minutes. New okay. new song or music video, and you know talking about love during COVID-19 times and so on and so forth. Okay. There's this there's this artist um, who has a gallery called Gallery on Pause, um, and she's just receiving submissions for um, people to be, you know, creative and put their art out yeah. there um, to express themselves during, like, a, you know, very specific time in 
right. and history and stuff. Um, and just in terms of like understanding the zeitgeist of our time during the corona and stuff, like, do you guys think that there'll be like long, uh, like how, how do you think, man, what is my question even? Um, what will be the the lasting impact in terms of the of the culture once once we go back to normal? Do you think that um, do you think there will be like a major shift in things? Uh, I guess maybe an example is a good way to to get it across what I'm trying to say. Um, post the recession, for example, um, brought forth like Shark Tank and like creativity and mm, like entrepreneurship yeah. and stuff. Um, I think Shark Tank. Like the recession was in two thousand eight, obviously, and Shark Tank debuted in like two thousand nine, or not even a year after. Yeah, it's on after season eleven stuff. right now. Yeah, it's actually been a long time. Um, so that's an example. Um, post post nine uh, eleven, for example, there is you know a massive um, shift in like um, patriotism and things of that nature, and how we understood sure. our our roles and our the way we interact as Americans and stuff like that. Do you think that? How do you think that the coronavirus time in our history will will shift things as we you know seem to be getting back to? Well, here's where um, we get a to return. Here's where we get to predict flying cars. And yeah, hoverboards. I, 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 I think that we're going to have a, a unique marriage between social distancing <laughs> and talk to the hand. And what talk to the hand? Like, do you think yeah. that there will be a collection yeah, of, of art, whether it be, like, live art yes. or, you know, art, like, paintings and stuff like that, to where people will look back on this time in history and be like, ah, I see, they were going through this thing at this time, and it shaped the way they thought about things, and it drastically altered this thing or that thing or, or, or so on? Yeah, I think, especially with where art is concerned, I can tell you from, just from my particular place as an artist... I since we started this since we couldn't have church services with everybody um so that mm. you know that's been it's been almost 2 months I think yeah or maybe over 2 months now yeah it's uh, been about yeah it's been about a month and a half so far I've released a new song every single week and when I say released I don't mean like I had it like sitting in my my uh you know my vault of songs I mean I wrote a new song every week and played it for the church. My playlist, like you can go to my music, um, my YouTube for my um, musician account or whatever. You can yeah, go Band there. Camp. Well, I not on Bandcamp. I haven't released Is it, it on, on Bandcamp because I'm waiting. I'm waiting to release it on Bandcamp. But I've bootlegged our Sunday services, and I have a playlist of all my original music. You know, oh, okay. going back to the beginning um, on YouTube. Like if you look me up as a as an artist, you can see I have like videos you know going all the way back to the beginning and there's new music and i assume that that's going to be the case for everybody i assume like the the thing on my mind in regard to that is um what do i name an album coming out of mm. coming out of this time because i'll bet you everybody will be be creating albums or you that know. was i had an article that's on the threat on our chat also speaking of album names and stuff there's a whole thing right now in terms of women, specifically women musicians, post Me Too and expressing themselves mm, and, yeah. and and emoting in that way. And I think Fiona Apple just released an album. Yes, she, the album is either either called this or the song is. It's called on this, my list. I want to I want to listen to something it. about fetch the bolt cutters or something like that. I and, love Fiona Apple in reference to you know being whatever shackled by whatever sort of trauma maybe she had before. Right. Um, but yeah, sort of to your to your point, I guess. Sorry. Yeah, no, I I I I imagine that that will be the case. I know that. The, so our our church has a large um, sort of undercurrent of music. There's a large music culture, and I know that there's there's people um, like one of our one of our like sister bands in the church, Incoit, is uh, working on music right now. My so I have my own music project. I've got my music project with producer Jasmine called The Theory of, and we're we're working on music heavily. Like I know that people are being creative, even if they're separated from each other, they're being creative, and that's just within our group. What I assume will happen is that there will be an explosion of collaboration. Mm. So I think that there's an explosion of innovation in collaboration right now, um, where people 
you know, are doing like Zoom calls to put their music together and to do their art together and all sorts of stuff like that. Yeah, like so digital collaboration, right? So like uh, the Justin Bieber Ariana Grande one, that's a big one right now. I think Beyonce just did one with like a rapper. So you see it already happening yeah. with like the big mainstream names and stuff too. Right, and they, and they've been doing it like in uh, putting digital concerts together and yeah. things like that. Yep. So I think you'll see a big explosion on the digital side that's already happening and so that's going to innovate new ways to do that and I think in the future you're going to see a lot of digital innovation where people are going to be more freed to live their personal lives but still work together. I think they're going to it's really going to challenge the way um that studios have tried to create ha- have really created a nexus of operations. I really think that the nexus of operations will kind of go away. What do you um, mean the nexus of well, operations? And, and, and I think that what you're going to find too is that um, the the media moguls as such are going to be watching for those type of venues um, where you have people expressing themselves online. Um, do you guys watch The Mask? Uh, the Mask Singer, you mean? The Mask Singer, yeah. Do you watch that? Uh, I watched the first season of it. I think it's horrible, it's, but I, I'm it, aware of it. And I've seen several it's, episodes. I think it's genius. I think it's genius. It's like mystery mixed with American Idol. Well, what they've devolved like body, into though. at this point yeah. is that whenever they, whenever they eliminate a character... Uh, now, instead of just having the elimination of a character, they have an after uh, deal where they bring that character forward and they have people respond to them and they ask them questions and all that. Well, on and, and one of the guests that they have then who sings a song at the end of their after party or whatever it is, which is all online, by the way, or pretty much online, um, they have this guy that they discovered that uh, he sings a song, but he's uh, he's actually a surgeon. So mm-hmm. he's a doctor. He's a medical doctor. He's a surgeon, and yet he's got a fantastic voice. You're not, and you're and not talking about. And they they discovered him online, okay. and so he contributes to this after party type thing going on. So my point is, is that you're going to see a lot of talent that uh, is brought forward um, because uh, you have uh, you have business executives that are also pouring over uh, some of the stuff that's coming out and watching for talent yeah so but you're that show also has as a judge um, from the hangover uh, Ken, also, Ken Jong, who's Jeong, also, who's a, also medical a medical doctor. doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so anyway, but um, what I said earlier, you wanted me to define nexus of uh, nexus of operations. Nexus of operations. So a nexus is the is a central point, um, and mm. so what I'm saying is the concepts of the concept of a nexus of operations. I think is really being defined to fit more with technology, and I and I just and I think that that will be true in the arts, and I think that it's true in the church. I think that the church in general um, has really had to stretch itself, and our church in particular has, you know, become a lot more busy than it was. Uh, so I think what you're going to find—not that it ever wasn't—but what you're going to find is a lot of restructuring of the concept of what the nexus is. Is the nexus of operations um, a technological infrastructure or communication itself that essentially we can? Um, communicate in spirit and in truth rather than in the physical Mm. uh i think that that is i think that's a real possibility and i think that that will extend itself out to the arts and you know and is extending itself out to the arts and i think that you're going to see a lot of craving for more programming uh done from people's houses and you know we're gonna i think we're gonna be moving away from the super high production yeah, like big production of, companies of something. things i i was just reading an article the other day about the downfall of um single cam docu style uh <clears throat> series you know like the office or to a lesser degree parks and rec or modern family mm. like the it, it was basically saying that that style of camera work um was basically trying to steal 
the or or ride on the zeitgeist of um of shows like Survivor, hmm. which came off of the uh, crisis of the writers' strike, that like basically caused television networks to to go for uh, uh, low funded live television where they didn't have to pay stars and so on and so forth, and it cost them like sure. nothing to make, right? And so then they started. So then networks started to produce shows that were you know that were that way that emulated that style, but then that's kind of gone the wayside now and they're, they're waiting for the next big thing. And it wouldn't surprise me if you had, you know, uh, a show for instance, that featured what you're talking about, Pastor Monty, where it was a show think star search, but that was done with like YouTubers, Hmm. you know, where you call into people's homes and they like become famous, Hmm. you know, through zoom calls. Yeah, like that wouldn't surprise me at all. So I wonder if there's going to be like a uh, section in one of the Smithsonian's or something. Like, yeah, here's what the coronavirus produced in American history in terms of the art and the this and the that. If you ever get a chance to check out the Smithsonian and its its uh, museum on anything, honestly, <laughs> it's 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 real crazy. Yeah, and don't do it and don't don't give yourself a day to do that either. Right, we did that. There's a there's a Batmobile there. Guys, there's a Batmobile. They, they currently like have what? Eight museums or something like yeah, that. Yeah. You need like a solid sense. week just it's, to do the museums crazy. in DC. <laughs> yeah. When we were there, we could only take in 3 of them. Yeah. When we were there, we took in as much as we could with 4 hours. <laughs> so apparently John says it gives people a glimpse into celebrity life exclusive access we get to see inside their homes like mtv cribs but also then adding a talent element actually one of the one of the um articles that i had had which i had found out was a dated article several years old three or four years old had to do with super fandom and social media and stuff and I shelved the article because it's like, oh, it's not necessarily anything new. But I do think, like John is saying, like because of where we're at now and being stuck at home and then the the even more increased use of social media through these artists and stuff, you're see, you're getting a more of a direct experience and like what that means and what that looks like and how that affects people and produces bad things as much as good things. But yeah. I think that's a good way of putting it. Uh, I think you're going to have a lot more direct experiences, a lot more raw sort of guerrilla experiences rather than high production because people have understood through this, maybe they want those things, but they don't necessarily need those things. Yeah. Um, So I'm, I'm looking for a good artistic explosion. My only caution is just that art, yes, art informs and, it it inspires, right? But art basically emulates too. Now this process has sort of um, sort of solidified. Yeah, Heidi says less makeup and stylist spruced up stars. Yeah, that's <clears throat> what we're talking about. Um, this 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 process and technology has sort of um, gelled that all to be one big ball. Where you know it used to take time for art to emulate life and then inform future life and so on and so forth. Now mm-hmm. it kind of happens immediately. Yeah. Um, but what are you informing and what are you emulating? This is, this is the other thing that I just want to say, like, you know, there's a reason why I don't watch keeping up with the Kardashians. <laughs> no offense. I think you're going to have a lot of, you're going to have an explosion of worse art. <laughs> oh know, yeah. Art. That's just bad. Um, but put into the mainstream. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've had that, you know, people have, YouTube is essentially the public access. You know, to, to, to bring them out in, into the networked mainstream concept. And I think you have a, there's a lot of people who uh, viewed YouTubing, like, did you know that YouTubing or being a YouTuber is like the number one 
thing that uh, young people want to become these days. Yes, I did. Um, Heard you know, him talk about it. Crazy. And I think that you're going to have a lot of a lot of people who think that that is more attainable now. Mm. You know, it's it's much it's going to be much more attainable now than it was before. Um, but what are, what are you emulating and what are you what are you putting out there? I think we're going to have a lot of bad content because, quite frankly, you know, without the polish, um, culture is pretty ugly. Mm, without the makeup, yeah. Without the makeup and the and the beer goggles. Mm, yeah. <sighs> All right, guys. Well, that uh, led us perfectly at ten o'clock, so I think we're gonna end there. It's a good Alrighty. place to end. So, uh, thank you, thanks, Pastor, for for tuning in. Thanks for y'all, y'all that are on our stream right now, and we'll listen in the future, and we'll see you guys uh, in a week, I guess. Adios. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship.